the past, the present, the future. This is Friday Night Fright. What the planet is listening to. Hello and welcome Friday Night Frights, your home of frights on Friday nights. After all, we fright on Friday night, y'all. As usual, I've recorded this entire episode before I've recorded this introduction, so yay. But we've got a cracking show for you today. Um, no news on Mabel's storyline um, in quest for an author as you will. But eventually we'll get back to that. But on today's show, we've got Ian Sinsa Classic. Very badly, very badly ruined classic. We've got Ian talks about horror at breakfast. Yay! We've got a review of the Shug movie of the week. A little known movie called Killer Joe starring F1's favourite cowboy, Matthew McConaughey. Yay! Got Ian's Tale of Terror, a new feature which may or may not recur. And uh, Ian reads from scripts he wrote and other people wrote. Yay, fun times ahead. But anyway, it's time to fright on Friday night, y'all. And I'll be back after a brief word from my sponsor. And now it's time for another edition of Ian Sings Classics. On today's episode of Ian Sings Classics, Born to Run, sung by Bruce Springsteen. Produced by Mike Apple and Bruce Springsteen from the album Born to Run. <coughs> <laughs> And day we swell in along the streets of a runaway American dream. At night we ride from mansions of glory and suicide machines. Sprung from cages on highway nine, chrome wheel fuel injected, stepping out over the line. Oh baby, this town rips the bones from your back. It's a death trap. Suicide rap, we gotta get out while we're young Cause tramps like us, baby we were born to run But do 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 Wendy let me in, I want to be your friend I want to guard your dreams and visions Just wrap your legs round these favourite rims And strap your hands across my engines That's a metaphor Together we could break this trap. We'll run till we drop. Baby, we'll never go back. Oh, will you walk with me out on the wire? Question mark. Cause baby, I'm just a scared and lonely rider. But I gotta find out how it feels. I want to know if love is wild, babe. I want to know if love is real. Oh, can you show me? Question mark. Beyond the palace, heavy powered drones scream down the boulevard. A girly comb the hair and rear view mirrors, and the boys try and look so hard. The amusement park rises bold and stark, kids are huddled on the beach in the mist. I want to die with you, Wendy, on the streets tonight in an everlasting kiss. Suicide pats aren't fun, by the way. Don't do a suicide pat, even if Wendy's looking particularly lovely. Suicide pats aren't right. That's not where you go. One, two, three, four. The highway is jammed with broken heroes on a last chance power drive. Everybody's out on the run tonight, but there's no place left to hide. Together, Wendy, we can live with the sadness. I will love you with all madness in my soul. Oh, someday, Wendy, I don't know when we're going to get to that place where we really want to go and we're walking in some platoon and tramps like us, baby, we're born to run. Oh, honey, tramps like us, 
Baby, we were born to run. Come on with me, tramps like us. Baby, we were born to run. Now, what does that tell you about Bruce Springsteen's attitude towards the vagrants of society? It tells us a lot. Also, he loves a woman named Wendy. He loves her so much, he wants he wanted a suicide pact with her through a kiss. So you have to assume that their lips were both poison. When they kissed each other, the poison would spread. That's a lot to take in. But also... This is an amazing song. I know wrong because I'm not saying this anymore. That's a really good song. That's one of my favourite Bruce Springsteen songs. And that's why I chose it for this episode Friday Night Fright. Despite the fact that it's nothing to do with a horror thing. Unless you count Suicide Pats as horror. Which some do. Some would classify that as horror. But anyway. This is another edition of a classical song. Some by Ian. And who knows what next one will be. But it won't be Born Drum by Bruce Springsteen. I guarantee you that. And it's time for Breakfast with Horror, the feature where I'm having breakfast and I'm discussing horror movies. I'm not having breakfast at the moment, I'm lying in bed and I'm barely awake. It's Monday morning at like 6.46 in the morning and I'm just chilling, I'm just trying to come round. Breakfast with Horror, so... Horror, where I had a dream that there were like explosions going off or about to go off, and I was, um, but it's one of those situations where you know you can't get to your family because you're in a different place, so you're texting them, and family can't ring, and it's like, hey, yeah, we love you, we love you, I love you, uh, <laughs> I think background you got fucking Scooby Doo characters who can't meet up with each other because they're stupid and can't keep track of time and Vame is shouting at Daphne and Fred where's Shaggy and where's Scooby and Vame is sort of like why don't you shove up your ass, Daphne and Fred's like calm down ladies calm down I haven't got a scot on you can do something there's something sexy and they're all arguing I mean well Shaggy and Scooby are at a five star restaurant Hi, Ab, they're good. Enjoying lots of food. Now, people have left because they've run off beer with their loved ones. And Jack and Scooby are like, we don't know what's going on. We're just, we're just a dog and his pet human. We're just eating food and chilling out. And then, like, explosions are going off and Shaggy's like, I don't give a fuck Scooby, I want to eat. And Scooby's like, Shaggy, you know, we might actually, we should actually get on ground. We have plan, we have bunker, you know. Daphne, Fred and Babe are going to survive. And Shaggy's like, you stupid, you fucking, you dog, you stupid dog. You, you just symptom of my addiction to marijuana, you piece of shit, fucking dog, you with your stupid wet nose and your stupid face, you, you shouldn't even be able to speak, how do you speak, and Scooby's like, Shaggy, this is dangerous, Shaggy's like, fuck you, you fucking great Dane, you fucking smack you in sight face with a brick, you know, fuck you, eat your fucking, eat your filet mignon, you motherfucker, and so Scooby wants to make contact with Scrappy, so Scooby grabs his phone and Shaggy's like, you have a phone, you're a dog, dogs don't have phones, put the phone away, give the phone to me, who fucking, who pays your bills for your phone? Scooby ignores him and tries to phone Scrappy, Scrappy is involved in some gang shit in fucking Albania, no, he's got bicycle or some shit, so he, he won't answer the phone, so then, you know, Explosions 
everyone thinks the explosion's happening, but it's actually a prank. So it's a troll, bro. It's a practical joke. And so no one really dies. And so Scooby realises that Shaggy thinks he's just a great dame and Shaggy after this. So I, I told you, you fucking, you dog, you stupid dog, you know, dumb dog. You know, it's last fiddle mignon you get, you stupid dog. But intention is this, so Scooby leaves them mystery egg. <laughs> that was my dream. That's weird. That was uh, kind of a week in horror. What of horror news has popped up? It's been known for a few weeks, but Jamie Lee Curtis is starring in Halloween 2. 2, you know, Halloween 2.25 or whatever. Again... And people are happy about it. Everyone's like, yeah, she's coming back. And it's like, yeah, she came back. She came back for the original Halloween too. Let's just go through the timeline, right? So Halloween came out, and that's classic. Everyone agreed with it. The original, original Halloween. Great movie, classic, you know. And then they made Halloween 2, which everyone's like, well, you know, they had to. So someone can make sequels. The copter had to write it, and as he's writing it, he had to work the budget and restrictions and he had to throw in a twist and cool shit and everyone respects it and so like maybe it's not an artistic movie but you know they respect the craft and all that shit and then they make both Halloween movies and there's a pseudo reboot and they kept rebooting kind of the timeline or ignoring movies and all that shit and then they made Howling H2O, which was pretty much Howling 3 from, from their perspectives. Um, when Jamie Lee Curtis came back, <laughs> you got some stuff to do. It was inspired loosely by Screen Dash, a really good script at one point by Kevin Williamson, which he decided not to use. But, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis came back. She's a survivor and all that shit. She had a kid with Josh Hart. I think Josh Hartnell was her kid. I remember really to be honest or Joe Scorn Levitt was a good one too it's a good movie it's watchable and then um, they brought back again for Halloween fucking 8 or whatever it was the one with the the rapper beat up Michael Myers which you know at that point who just fuck his video reality TV show shit I barely remember it um and then they fucking Ended that shit, and then they did the fucking reboot with Rob Zombie, the latest reboot, Halloween, which also got Halloween 2. So for context, that's our second Halloween 2. No. And those movies were weird. They were, Rob Zombie tried to do something, it didn't entirely work, but at least he tried doing parts of something interesting. And then second one went batshit crazy, but, you know, there you go. Um... And then they decided to bring back Halloween with the Jamie Lee Curtis once again. <sighs> they, ignored, they ignored all the movies except for the first one. So it's set years and years later. Michael Myers finally gets out of prison and Jamie Lee Curtis is in it. And it's actually a really tense, very good horror movie. Um, not as good as the original Halloween, but probably as close as they could get. Um, but at the same time, it's nothing new. It's Damon the Girl. It's coming back and rebooting all the old movies to get her back. And everyone's watched it. And most people are like, this is good. This is watchable. I enjoyed this. That's fun. 
So, but then, and then the sequel to that, and it's like, what are you doing? This is your fucking third official attempt at doing Halloween 2. You know, and, um, you're like 19th fucking attempt to reboot franchise to get Jamie Lee Curtis back. And at this point, it's like, yeah. What cards do you have left? She's literally dug everything she can possibly do in this franchise. You know, and George the original was, hey, we're going to get a classic Howie movie again. Not we're going to start a franchise again, but hey, it made so much money. What are you going to do, right? You you have to you have to do this shit. So that's, that's I mean, I'll go see it, but it's, it's irritating. And, um, what horror movies have I watched this week? Um, not really horror. I watched Vice by Adam McCabe, Christian Bell, Steve Carell, Amy Adams, um, and Sam Rockwell. And I enjoyed that. You know, it's a, you know, you want specific. It's, it's a movie about monsters. So, you know, it's just framed differently to the usual ones. It's a good movie. I, I really like the, um, watching movies which are a bit different structurally and playing with art types and with running gags you know the running gag about his um his heart attacks is really messed up but also really funny at the same time and christian bell does a really good job portraying a tremendously tremendously unlikable human being who by all counts doesn't believe in anything except a gain of power which is a very shakespearean motive and i'm guessing real life did change is a bit more complex than that people normally are but the way movie possess it, he just wanted to, you know, be a powerful man, which is scary, because how do you stop powerful men who they're determined to claim power? Yeah, it's very Shakespearean overtones in that regard, and in a lot of ways, they feel like a slight disjointed horror movie. My only complaint is that, really, no, it did feel a bit disjointed, like there wasn't really free out of script. You watch the um, Anne McKay's the movie, The Big Short, and it feels more like a stoop structural tendencies to deviate from the course. To put, it still feels like it has a specific plot and what it's going for. With. Fade Up. On Cartoon Speed Racer, Speed's giving detailed description of all features on his race car, the Mac 5, which, it's, which he does at the beginning of every episode. Off screen, we'll hear a woman's voice. Woman's voice, off screen. Butch. Dissolved to Butch's POV. We're in the living room of a modest two bedroom house in Alabama, California in year 1972. Butch's mother, 35 ish, stands in the doorway leading to the living room. Next to her is a man dressed in uniform from an American Air Force officer, a camera's perspective of five year old boy. Mother, Butch, stop watching TV a second. We've got a special visitor. Now, do you remember when I told you your daddy died in POW camp? Butch, off. Uh huh. Mother, with this here is Captain Coons. He's in POW camp with Daddy. Captain Coons steps inside the room towards the little boy and bends down one knee, bringing him even with the boy's eyeline. When Coons speaks, he speaks with slight Texas accent, which I won't. Captain Coons, hello, little man. Boy, I sure heard a bunch about you. See, I was a good friend, your daddy's. 
We're in a Hanoi bit of hate of five years together. Hopefully, you'll never have to experience this yourself. When two men are in a situation like me and you, they were for as long as we were, you take on certain responsibilities for the other. If it'd been me who not made it, Major Coolridge be talking right now for my son Jim. But where it worked out is, I'm talking to you, Butch, and I got something for you. Captain pulls out a gold wristwatch out of his pocket. This watch I got here is first purchased by your great granddad. It's bought during the First World War in a little general store in Knoxville, Tennessee. It's bought by Private Doughboy Ernie Coolridge, the day he south Paris. It's your great granddad's war watch, made by the first company ever to make wristwatches. See, up to then, people just carried pocket watches. Your great granddad wore that watch every day he was in that war. Then, when he'd done his duty, he sent home to your great-grandmother, took a watch off his wrist and put it in an old coffee can. And then that can stayed to your granddaddy. Dane Coolridge was called upon by his country to go overseas and fight Germans once again. It's time they called it World War Two. Your great-granddaddy gave it to your granddad for good luck. Fortunately, Dane's luck wasn't as good as his old man's. You see, your granddad was Marine. And he's killed with all young marines at battle Wake Island. Your granddad's facing death and knew it. None of the boys had any illusions over about ever leaving the island alive. So three days before the Japanese took the island, your 22-year-old grandfather asked a gun on an air transport, transport named Winoki. man he'd never met before in his life, to deliver to his infant son, who he'd never seen in flesh, his gold watch. Three days later, your grandfather was dead. But Winoki kept his word. After the war was over, he paid visit to your grandmother, delivering to your infant father his dad's gold watch. This watch. His watch was on Dave's wrist when he shot down over Hanoi. His captain put in Vietnamese prison camp. Now he knew if the Goots ever saw his watch, he'd be confiscated. Where your days looked at, that watch was his birthright. And he'd be damned when Slopez could put their greasy uh, hands on his boy's birthright. So he hid it in one place he knew he'd hide something. His ass. Five long years he wore this watch up his ass. Then, when he died of dysentery, he gave me the watch. Hit this uncomfortable like, hunk of metal up my ass for two years. And then after seven years, I've sent home my family. And now, little man, I give the watch to you. Captain Coons hands the watch to Butch. And little hand comes in frame to accept it. I don't think I know that. And, you know, Chris Walken's such a good actor. And don't think you can emulate where he speaks. And even try it doesn't come out with it. But that was a fun experiment. Uh, Tarantino writes the best dialogue and you know even if you mangle it which I did it still sounds awesome it, it reads awesome don't know if it sounds awesome but that's this edition of um, Ian Reads Thomas' so script and I'll be reading my own script in just a few seconds and now a bunch of pages from my scripts a little script called Long Distance it's the, the Salamander Night a new infused haunt of Eve loud yet twerk Twice the music twangs, I couldn't say that. Interior Salamander, a sawdust and rule Britannia joint. Thomas, brackets 31, sits at bar. Baseball cap clashes with a well-worn suit. He sips whiskey on ice with lemonade. He tries not to look across the bar. A corn table has his eye. Three women, two guys, all dressed in nines. Work colleagues having leaving do for Jane, brackets 30. Returned from a bar of a tray full of tequila shots. She's wearing a rough green dress. Her eyes radiate cheer. Jane, shots for all. Hammer City. The table whoops. She takes a seat. Thomas also smiles. The barkeep notices. Barkeep, friends. Thomas, co-workers. Barkeep. Wang in Rome. Barkeep heads off. 
She heads off rather instead of customer. Thomas ponders the dadism. Jane. So, Jane sits by Thomas at the bar. Jane. Who does a woman have to lubber hem to get a free drink? Thomas. Lubber hem? Question mark. Jane. It's slang. All the kids are saying it. Thomas. They jump off bridges too? Question mark. Jane. Tempting. Buy me a drink first? Question mark. Thomas. You've, you have shots. Jane, shots aren't drinks. Thomas, between that and mass hole. No wonder you're leaving. Jane puts on shot face. Jane, well, I've never. Brackets then. But I'll forgive you if you'll buy me a drink. Thomas, you're easy. Jane, six out of ten agree. But which six and which ten? Question mark. She smiles. Forced Thomas to smile back. Jane, you should smile, Thomas. More? Question mark. Jane, eh? She shrugs. Jane, I wouldn't go that far. Thomas, oi. He nudges her. Jane, you coming over? Question mark. Thomas, not my scene. Jane, ah, oh, but we're your friends. Thomas, co-workers. Jane, ah, oh, she pats his back. Even what? says Jane. Thomas doesn't answer. He can't. Interior, Henshaw flat bedroom. A picture of a dark water lake hands on wall. Jane regards it from the edge of bed. She's wearing orange dressing gown. She's lost in thought. Hangover thought, no less. Interior, earth skin flat bedroom. A pot plant of dubious NG perched on the window ledge. Thomas regards it from the top of his bed. He's wearing red t-shirt and shorts. He's lost in thought. Sober thought, no less. His phone chimes. He reaches for it. As he answers, we intercut with interior, Henshaw flat bedroom. Jane on the other end. Jane, ahoy hoy. Thomas, ahoy hoy? Question mark. Jane, I'm bringing it back. Thomas, there's a reason it left. Brackets, then. How's the head? Question mark. Jane, old corner of Wheats and Booth. Thomas, yeesh. Jane flops onto bed. Jane, it was assuredly a leaving do. Early hours even. Thomas, I saw all that social media. Jane sits up. Jane, you weren't there? Question mark. Thomas, was tired some. Said goodbye, hugging all. Jane, that I don't recall. Thomas, where's the celebration for some? Jane, not for you? Question mark. Thomas, I don't get leaving parties. Jane, too sad? Question mark. Thomas, fair to say. Jane, ah, sing song. You're gonna miss me. Thomas, simple. Yeah, she smiles. He doesn't. Jane, knew it. Thomas, yeah. Thomas tries not to blush. Jane, no more cover stories. No more A.U. Gray. And as for porn or movie, Thomas, quickly. That was your idea, Jane. Damn skippy. Thomas, anyway. Brackets a tad nervous. I- I'm going to. Jane, going to what? Thomas, miss you. He smiles. She doesn't. Jane, I'll miss stuff. She cringes at a faux pas. Thomas double takes. Thomas, stuff? Question mark. Jane, and and fans? She cringes again. Thomas, yeah. Jane, sorry, I... Thomas, it's okay. Jane, how's it okay? Question mark. Thomas, it's not. I was being polite. Jane, don't be polite. Call me on my damage, bitch. Thomas, okay. Jane, okay. We both take deep breath. Then, Jane, we should meet. Thomas, we should, question mark. Jane, yeah. Thomas, where, question mark. Jane, salt shack. Thomas, too salty. Iru, question mark. Jane, too porky. It dawns on them both what to say next. They say it at the same time. Jane and Thomas, burger shack. Both green like loons with tunes. INT burger shack. Garage fast food eatery. Jane and Thomas sit in corn booth. A waitress roll with skates on over. Waitress, wiggle to the shack of burger. 
She points to their phones. Waitress, if you're by your app, you, sigh, brackets, can get free fries for your choice of sauce. Certainly, we're out of cheese. Thomas, double cheese too, question mark. Waitress, strangely, no, but we are our vegan supremes, four screen. I'm Lula Bear, in case you... She lets Fort drift away. Her exit without, is without fanfare. Jane, she's cute. Thomas, off app, not my type. Also, who's called Lula Bear? Honestly. Jane, a cute woman. Aside, ask her out. Thomas, no, nah, not my type. Brackets, then, whoa, deja vu. Jane, type is, type is cast, my friend. Thomas, what does that even mean, question mark? Jane, theatrical, embrace the ambiguity. Thomas chuckles, you're weird. Jane, faux shock, oh no, who told you, question mark. Thomas, cute. Jane, that is an occupational hazard. Thomas motions to that. Thomas, want anything, question mark? Jane, it's fine, I've got it. Thomas, heck you do, brackets sincere. It's on me, a gift from me to you so you always remember us. He orders. Jane stares at him intently. It's as if she's seeing him for the very first time. Thomas, Thomas finishes ordering. Thomas, right. He looks up, sees her awed expression. That old safe consciousness kicks in. Thomas, what? Question mark. Jane, you never said. Thomas drops the aloof at. Thomas, I did. Also many times. It wasn't right. Jane, no. She gently places hand over his. Jane, you never said. Aching vulnerability comes over Thomas. He's generally rattled to his core. Thomas, don't. Jane, Thomas. He pulls his hand away. Thomas, don't. Jane, it's okay. Thomas, how's it okay? Question mark. Then, I liked you and I have to say goodbye and it. Jane, incredulous. You liked me? We barely know each other. Thomas, in, in my own way? Jane, right, sorry, you've lost me. Because I like you a lot and my eyes kind of open now. But... Like, like? That's a ways off. Thomas meekly. What about like at first sight? Question mark. Jane, did you? Thomas, no. Jane, perhaps that why I wasn't gone before. You can't put me on pedestal. Thomas, how long? I never. The waitress returns with tray full food. Universe burger of double cheese and fries for Thomas. Bacon vegetable green for Jane. Chocolate shake for him. Alcohol free cider for her. Waitress, gluttony abounds. She puts it down. Waitress, sauce to left, cutlery to the right. Thomas, and here I am, stuck in mill view. Jane and waitress both give him most foul looks. Thomas, too soon, question mark. The waitress exits. Thomas shrugs. He dis into his food. Jane regains con remains contemplative. Jane, I'm still leaving. Thomas, I know. Jane, have to spread my wings. Assorted of cliches. Thomas, smartest play. Jane, so it's settled. Brackets, right. We have the worst timing. Thomas stops eating. Thomas, care? Question mark. Jane, really? Question mark. You can't possibly be this slow. Thomas, where? Jane, big. We could have dated months ago. Thomas Bigger, you didn't want to. Jane, biggest, I do now. Thomas Bigger, you're leaving tomorrow. Jane, huge, so. Thomas considers that. Hmm. He goes back to his food. Jane rolls her eyes. Jane, sincerely. Thomas, it's too late. Jane, for here maybe. Thomas, brackets, gets her drift. No. Jane, it could work. Thomas, can't. Jane, why not? Question mark. Thomas, long distance barely works for people who dot dot dot. He motions. Jane. Nonsense, Thomas, flash fat. Jane, that, she motions, has nothing to do with it. Jane tucks into her food. Thomas, twaddle. The sets has all to do with it. 
Jane fights the spit take. Thomas, what? Question mark. Jane, the sets? Question mark. Thomas doesn't get it. Jane, that's not a term. Thomas, of course it is, Jane. It's really not. Thomas, don't change the subject. The sets. <laughs> Off Jane's laugh. Sex solidifies, all right? Without it, we're just friends. Jane, so much shit from you right now. Thomas, point stands. Jane, it's cowardice a point? Question mark. Thomas, commitment phobia is not cowardice. Jane, aha! Beat. Nothing? Question mark. Thomas, look, I own my baggage. Then brackets. Okay, Jane. Okay, what? Question mark. Thomas, okay, to this. Jane, that's a quick turnaround. Thomas, where we got a day? Jane, don't you have to work? Question mark. Thomas, Vince. Thomas, we've got Eve. Jane, so you lack commitment to your commitment phobia? Question mark. Thomas, it seems fitting. Jane, are you serious? Question mark. Thomas, I am. <laughs> Jane laughs. Sorry, it's a lot taking. Thomas, last shot over here. Brackets off. Look, I mean, your last guy was an athlete. Jane, schlub is sexy. Thomas, you almost sold that. They both laugh. Jane, don't you have Thomas? I do. This plank just getting wrong without us admin team. You know, interior day unit. Thomas says, blank the computer. Hard times Paramore plays because this is the first draft and fucking budget. Thomas sighs deeply. Christ, I don't remember writing this, but this is really some bullshit wish fulfillment right here. It's the replicant Grand Eve, in layman terms, a boardwalk. Quite boardwalk, in fact. Got the Ensign Rick Arcade, brackets Neon Fused 80s Nostalgia. Got O'Shea's Ice Cream, brackets the finest Irish cream. It's got Antique Video, brackets horror theme VHS run by a man so rich he's cool with it, never even having chance to break even. And Apostles Nightclub, brackets, a damp debauchery rung by a Mexican satanic priest. Thomas takes in with a smile. This is his mecca. Jane, off screen. Yo, sailor boy! He turns, sees a dress down Jane. She shoots him Kubrick stare. Jane, hungry for apples? Question mark. Thomas, is that a reference to Jane? Kid, your animation game sucks, and I see you didn't dress up. Thomas, we need to do. Jane scoffs like I need to impress you. Thomas, we you, you do usually, but now the emotional truth shuts him up, but slight blush gives him away. Jane, you have no game at all, do you? Question mark. Thomas, I really don't. Jane locks her arm through his. Jane, oodles of fun awaits. Thomas sculpts. They slowly amble forward. What the fuck is this shit? I'm TN scene Ritz. A dazzling cacophony of 80s arcade games from a weird old turn in 1980. They've got Crack, Contrafitted through John Carpenter, Pickle, Pat Man, but with an angry Pickle Man. This was for Pickle Rick, by the way. And Dregglehorn, brackets, a driving game with horse driven carriages. Jane and Thomas walk past the ticket booth. Thomas, explain it again. Jane, have you never played Greco Pop? Thomas, I didn't frequent. The bat booth. Jane, Jesus, Potser. Thomas, we were front... Front booth kids. South side. Jane, endo leak or oak point? Question mark. Thomas, oak point. Jane, tough break. Thomas, so this game? He stopped just shy of a Greco pop machine. And Batman machine's a goal. There's a pedal kick and many balls as you can put in the net for one shining green each. Jane, you pair green. Get nine seconds, kick that lever hard as you can. Try and score as many goals as possible. Tickets ensue. Tickets exchanged for trinkets. Thomas, trinkets worth damn question mark. Jane, are they on the south side? Question mark. Thomas, touche. 
Jane puts coins in slots. Thomas, we've had ski rule. Jane, primitive. She kicks the lever. Thomas works on dates. He kicks the lever. Jane, maybe in high school. The career woman aims higher. She kicks the lever. Thomas, Greco pop is higher? Question mark. He kicks the lever. Jane, you kidding? Question mark. She kicks the lever. This is according town from the day and age. Regular pheromones. Film, no, chip. Sorry, Jane, this is according town from the day and age. Regular philharmonic. Thomas, I can see that. He kicks the lever. Thomas, keeps going tad weak. Knees going tad weak. Jane, promises, promises. She kicks the lever. And alarm blares signify the final 30 seconds. Thomas asserts himself. Thomas, you're going down. Interior, O'Shea's ice cream. Jane swing places this. Number one for plate. She's cheerful. Thomas isn't. Thomas, figures I'd win. Jane, in my mecca? Question mark. Thomas, I assume to be mine. Jane, that makes you a tease now, don't it? This at the corn table sharing a vanilla thunder shaped two straws. Jane, it was fun though. Thomas, humiliation always is. Jane, ah, oh, did I hurt your masculine pride? Question mark. Thomas, I won the man. You, be- I was the man. You became a man. Reminds me of a dream I had once. Jane, kinky, it was about Becky Lynch. She stands. Jane, I've got piss. Jane walks through the joint, past counter, and the mirror of an Irish looking panda. Thomas shakes his head. Thomas, goddamn. He sips his shaker as Betty Quo. You win lottery or some such? His sister, Betty Quo, 34. Black and green hair, smart enough to be stress free. Takes a seat. Her uniform is a very green dress with white store brand pseudo lab coat over the top. Thomas, possibly. Betty Quo. Ah, this one from work? Thomas, speaking of work, Betty Quo, I like ice cream. Query, off look. Works on four levels. Brackets, then call me late, question mark. Thomas nods. Betty Quo kindly, don't fuck it up. She rises, exits. Jane returns, sits. Jane, what do I miss, question mark. Thomas looks at her smitten ears. That's enough for now. I'll be back this morning that next week. So, the show the movie of the week. This week's movie is a little old movie called Killing Joe by everyone's favourite. Slightly angry, depressed, ruined his own career by being egotistical director, Winfrey King. The finest egotistical director who ruined his own career after Francis Ford Coppola. Although in some ways I'd say he's better because Winfrey King made The Exorcist, and despite being... By all accounts, rather unlikable and rather ghastly as a human being. He was an incredibly versatile director. He made The Exorcist, he made French Connection, he made a bunch of other movies, and he's really done a lot of very varying movies and concepts. Unlike Francis Ford Coppola, his best movies are mobs movies and an accidental masterpiece named Apocalypse Now. But anyway, Winfrey King. Winfrey King was lost for a long time in Hollywood conjecture. He made The Exorcist and then he made some more movies and then he made movies which could not possibly make their budget back and he was thrown, hung up dry, which is what happens in business if you can't make your money back and you're, by all accounts, rather unlikable, they would stop you from making big movies or end movies indeed. He's made a lot, fair few movies over the last few decades, but nothing which has really come close to capturing the sort of blissful joy of something like The Exorcist, which despite being a really intense movie and being really, 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 really disturbing, is also an incredibly personal story and clearly a movie that only Winfrey can make. 
So Aspie heads up to quite a high sample of the genre and indeed films in general. It's terrifying and it's actually a movie which caused the hairs on back of my neck to stand up, which doesn't happen very often, especially compared to movies like Ouija Board, which came in this way, were, let's face it, a bit shit to be honest in comparison. But anyway, Winfrey King's Killing Joe. What about Kenley Joe makes it such a good movie, and particularly Shug Movie of the Week. Although Shug Movie of the Week doesn't really mean very much because it's literally the movie I watch that week that sounds the least terrible movie on their system, on their streaming network, and there's a lot of terrible movies on Shudder. A lot of which I'll review in the future, but for the context of this review, what makes Killing Joe actually a really good horror movie? And that's simple. What makes it a really good horror movie is it commits to the material. Something we're freaking very good at in some of his other movies, not so much his more recent ones, but his older ones, is committing to material, committing to the bit, as you, as they would say. The bit, of course, being the situation in process. If you commit to it, then you're more likely to sell it. And Winfrey can just save this movie. Although, let's be honest, he's benefited by an amazing cast. Well, Emil Hirsch is, again, by all accounts, a rather horrible human being. For those stories about him are true, and I'm pretty sure they are. He is a really good actor. Um, and he does a really good job in Smooth of playing a complete scumbag. You have Thomas Hayden Church, who's a real dread actor, who's really, really good at playing certain characters and doing it perfectly. And there's both versatility there, but someone whose career was in doldrums before sideways, it's nice to him stepping to the light with stuff like Spider-Man 3, and then to move back towards, you know, movies like this, which he gets a bit more chance to work out some material with, which is good. You've got Gina Gershon, who... By all accounts, she'd be a much bigger star than she was, but we've had to settle for her as a really good actress in movies like this, although there's some problematic parts later on, but she's acting her little heart out. You've got Juno Tempo, who is just... How do you describe Juno Tempo? In Like, she just radiates this wonderful sense of innocence, but, like, just so matter-of-fact about it she's such a good actress and don't mean that in a demeaning way I mean for her character of Dottie you need someone who can convey a certain amount of warmth and she nails it and she's so matter-of-fact about it which is crazy and then you have the Joe of the title Matthew McConkey who this movie pulled him back in relevance but he should have never been out of relevance in the first place I know he made a lot of romantic comedies and things like that but he's a naturally charming guy. Why Why shouldn't he be allowed to make those sort of movies? But, yep, this pulled him back into the um, big time and a really good round back thing, even if I don't like Interstellar, you know. He is surprisingly really good in that. And I, I say surprisingly really good, I mean, most Chris Nolan movies try for a fair bit of motion, but they don't recapture really it. And he really, really encapsulates it in that movie. But in this one, we get evil Matthew Pongi. You get, uh, essentially, you get Walter Flagg from the stand and Dark Town Wars books, you know, but without the crap writing, because I don't know if you guys have seen Dark Tower. I wouldn't recommend it. It's a four-and-a-half-hour movie, cut down 90 minutes, and it's as incomprehensible as that would suggest. But in movie, in this movie, he, he, 
killer joe in question is just a human guy but he just comes across as the personification of evil he destroys this family's life this opportunistic family's life by corrupting it sorry i don't know what really happened there but cut off my audio um so yeah he he corrupts his family and he's very much a demonic influence in their lives again a slight throwback to the exorcist but in less of a demon actual demonic way and just this personification of you know you, you get something like the no country for old men and you get and get anton chigurth and he's like this force of evil when this movie killer joe is very much the same and he destroys his family with his insidious charm manipulating them into escapes and scenarios and then having hatching a bloody plot at the end and ter- some terrifying scenes I won't really go into spoilers too much, but it's just, it's uncomfortable to watch. And that's what I like about horror movies sometimes. They shouldn't be comfortable, you know. You should feel on edge. You should feel like you're infringing on something. And especially nowadays, everyone's so focused on jump scares and shit like that that they forget that sometimes what you really need is not a jump scare. What you really need is just a pervading sense of tension to override everything. You know, that something bad is going to happen. And the really, for me, best kind of horror is when you have a scene and you know it's going to go bad, but half the characters in the scene don't. There's a scene in this movie where Killer Joe's clearly going to do something bad to Jillian, to um, Jean Lagershon, um and her husband, but you don't know what. You just know it's going to happen. And Matthew Congate amps up tension, amps up tension, amps up tension. And just when things are not going to get any more tense, the explosion of the violence occurs. But then that's dragged out for as long as possible too. And while I do have qualms with Wim Freakin as a person, but from stories I've heard, the actual execution of that scene is perfection. Because love directors wouldn't be able to maximise tension, let alone to maximise the payoff. But he doesn't just hit the payoff. He keeps the payoff going and going and going until you feel uncomfortable watching it. But best horror movies make you feel uncomfortable, and this movie in particular makes you feel very uncomfortable. So the acting's great. Um, the only thing I would say is, and I get why it's in the movie, but some of the stuff with Juno Tempo's dotty. It feels as exploitative to watch as it does in movie, you know? It's like... And then the um, bit with the uh, chicken bone is very, very uncomfortable to watch. And I get that's the point, and I'm not disagreeing with it. I'm just saying you you have to have act, an actress do that stuff, and you have to have an actress do bits June Tempo did. And I, I, in a way, it feels very exploitative, but... You just watch it thinking, I you don't know how they do the scenes otherwise because they need they almost need that. It's that thing VHS and all of those moves did where a slight amount of sleaze to it, which adds to property, but at the same time it's very uncomfortable to watch. So Killer Joe, I would I recommend it? I would absolutely recommend it. Shudder is picking up some good movies at the moment, and this is a really good movie. I would give it four thumbs for our five, you know. Uh, not F6, 4 F5, and I just really enjoyed it. Um, what more can I say? I was watching it, and I was engrossed in it. I watched it over two nights, because I was doing other stuff last night, but 
I just really got into it. And all I think of is this is a good movie and this is something that I'm going to be happy to talk about. And I have almost got 10 minutes to have it. So what would I want to do next on Shudder Movie of the Week? I don't know. Like i I got to really scroll through Shudder. No, really get a grip. But anyway, what am I saying? Because this... Next week, I'll be doing this from America. Yeah, I'm going to Florida. So next week's podcast will be done in Florida. Wow, that sounds cool. And who knows what Shudder's American service has. Maybe I'll catch that. That'd be cool. But until then, this is the Shudder movie of the week. Killer Joe is on Shudder app now. Definitely recommend it. And as always, we Shudder on Friday nights, Maggle. And that's time for Ian's Tales of Terror. Hello, this is Ian. This is Tales of Terror. Tonight's tale. What if you were married, then your wife wasn't who you thought she was? That's what happened to a man named Jim. See, Jim loved his wife. Jim loved life. But he loved his wife. He loved his wife so much that he married her. And she became his wife. And on their wedding day, he said in front of everyone, I love this woman. I love my wife. And I will make her my wife. And Jim's wife, named Karen. And Karen loved Jim. She loved him dearly. She loved him so much that she wanted him become her husband. As she said so eloquently to him, one faithful August night, Jim, I love you. Be my husband. And Jim said, Karen, you're my wife. I will you to be my wife. And he said, be my husband, husband. And they kissed and it was beautiful. And then next February, they're married on Valentine's Day. It's a romantic day of all. Twilight's playing in a nearby cinema. They saw it later on that night, but that's coincidental. It's only late story. Please relate to the stories. Jim, in his wedding vow, said, I will love you for all time until the earth swallows me up whole. And Karen said, That's beautiful, Jim. I'll love you until the earth swallows you whole. But it won't swallow me whole. I'll endure with memory of you. Everyone cried. Big moment. Big sad wedding. Big happy sad wedding. Then afterwards, they went on their honeymoon to Tibet. Beautiful honeymoon in Tibet. They got in tune with nature. They saw the Dalai Lama. They had a great time. Dalai Lama is a family friend of Jim's father. Jim's father, of course, was named Travis. Travis and Jim. Two peas in a pod. Two peas in a pod. But that's not important. Because when they got back from their honeymoon, they're in love. They're so happy. Everyone waking them back said, you've got great tan. Things like you've got great tan. You look beautiful. Does Dalai Lama like football? Questions like that, important questions. So then they came back from their honeymoon, and that's when Jim started realising, something strange with my wife. So he talked to his best friend, a man named Chad, and said, Chad? Chad said, Jim? Jim said, Chad, my wife is that strange. And Chad's like, Timmy Jim, was she bitten? And Jim was like, yes. Chad's like, but it wasn't by you, was it? Jim sadly said, no. So Chad said, Jim, think back. Have a flashback to the honeymoon. What happened? And then Jim remembered that while they're out with Dalai Lama playing football, now a dog bit Karen. Gentle, a little nib, little nib on the toe. 
And Karen thought nothing of it. And no one put the dog down. The Dalai Lama said, this dog is a sacred dog. And they didn't press him on well, how sacred. But Jim remembered that moment. And he said, Chad, she was bit by a dog. And Chad said, are you sure it was a dog? And Jim remembered it was at night. And the dog looked very, very much like a man-dog hybrid. Like a were-man. And Jim was like, oh no. And Chad was like, yes, she was bitten by a werewolf. And full moon's coming in two weeks. And Jim was like, oh my god, no. So Jim went to see Karen and explained about mythology of werewolves. The fact that she is now a werewolf. That's just on spirit. That wasn't up for debate. She was a werewolf. Karen was like, don't be silly, Jim. I'm not a werewolf. I'm a woman. I'm your wife. And Jim said, yes, but you might, might for three days a month turn into a monster. And you'll be difficult to live with for three days a month. And Karen said, Jim, that's ridiculous. I'm your wife. I love you. I'm not going to become a monster three days a month. And Jim said, I'm warning you, Karen. I'm warning you. This will happen. And when it happens, we're going to be in trouble. So you get to the night before your full moon. And Jim and Karen are asleep. They just had beautiful, beautiful Christian missionary sets. And Jim wakes up to screaming middle of the night. And he looks inside and sees Karen. It's looking a lot furry than usual. And Jim looks at her and goes, Karen, I know I said to death to us part, but you need to shave, my love. And Karen attacked Jim and tried to murder him and eat him. But Jim won't let her. Jim was like, no, Karen, no, you're not. You don't give in. And eventually Jim managed to subdue Karen by locking her in the bathroom. In the bathroom, for some strange reason, only locked from the outside. You couldn't get out from the inside if it's locked from the outside. So Jim waits till next morning. And when we went in bathroom next morning, Karen, coyly, was wearing a towel. And Jim, I don't know what happened. Jim's like, I must have got very drunk. Jim looked at her and said, you're a werewolf, Karen. You're a fucking werewolf. Sorry to use that language. Karen's mortified. You're a werewolf. We need to go see a priest. So he went to go see a priest. And the priest said, werewolves aren't real. And Jim's like, oh, yeah? And he showed her first. He'd taken his iPhone. That's my wife. She turned into a werewolf. And Karen's like, Jim, don't embarrass me. And Jim's like, look at her fucking teeth. Look at her eyes. She's a fucking werewolf. She's a werewolf. But I can't kill her. Because to death, that's too part. But if I kill her, I would go to bad place. And the priest's like, you would go to bad place. But she's a werewolf. So technically, technically you're putting her out of her misery. But you go murder when she's a werewolf, Jim. Because if you do it when she's human, that's murder. If you do it when she's a werewolf, that's assisted suicide. And the Lord will be okay with that. And Karen's like, no. So next morning, Jim found that Karen had left. Because they went to see... I, no. The, 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 that afternoon, Jim found Karen left. And she left a note saying, I am going. Goodbye. But Jim tracked her down using GPS on her phone because Jim's with a creeper. Jim said, Karen, no, we'll get through together. And Karen's like, you murder me when I become werewolf and you'll be off scot-free. And Jim's like, I won't do it. I won't murder you. And Karen's like, it's murder. You can't use that assisted suicide terminology because I don't have terminal disease. Jim's like, you're a werewolf, Karen. Three days a month, you'll be a monster. And Karen's like, I know a fucking werewolf is Jim. So Karen left. And Jim's on his own. That... Evening, Jim got a call from Dalai Lama about five o'clock before it's for the evening. And Dalai Lama is like, Jim, I'm sorry for what happened to your wife, but we can save her. We can save them all. And when Jim explains how, Dalai Lama's like, 
So I found the dog. He threw the werewolf man from Tibet on ground. So like, we can stop this, Jim. We have to murder this man. We have to stop the plague. We murder him, your wife will no longer be a werewolf for reasons. And the two spirits mentioned. Jim was like, I can't murder a Dalai Lama. I can't do it. Dalai Lama was like, grab that balls, Jim. You won't save your wife. You won't tap. You won't get with your wife again. You murder this man. Jim was like, I can't do it. Dalai Lama was like, you fucking do it, Jim. You do it or I'll fuck you up. So they murdered this werewolf man who said nothing throughout the entire conversation. And when he's dead, the Dalai Lama did laugh. When Jim asked why Dalai Lama was like, you silly, silly sock, Jim. I'm the werewolf. And Jim was like, the original werewolf. Jim was like, what? He was like, I'm not Dalai Lama. Do you think Dalai Lama's going to hang out with you and play football? I was a werewolf and I had a master plan and now I've murdered the man who could stop me. And Jim was like, what the fuck are you talking about? At that point, Karen came in and Karen's like, Jim, I've fallen in love with Dalai Lama and also he's not Dalai Lama, he's a werewolf. And also, Jim, we're going to merge you now. And Jim's like, what? And then Dalai Lama and Karen both turned into werewolves and they attacked Jim. But Jim got away with a scratch. And as he ran away, Dalai Lama was like, oh, fuck, oh, shit, oh, bollocks, he's now a werewolf. Oh, fuck, the only one killing me is the sire of my sire. It's the, the werewolf. It's the werewolf. Of, I, I turned you into a werewolf, and now we've turned Jim into a werewolf, so he can murder me, you know. It, it's just the rules. It's just how it works. So he chased Jim down. He chased him in Travis's house, and Travis there with a shotgun. Travis like, you know what? I never liked you, and he shot Karen. He's like, I don't like you either. So he shot Dalai Lama in the face, and he murdered two werewolves. And Jim was like, Travis, what are you doing? Travis like, why is there always rain on me? Is it because I lied when I was 17? And then Travis blew his own head off. So Jim's just sat there. He's like, what the fuck is going on? And then priest showed up, and priest said, Jim, we need to bury these people now. We need to salt the earth, and then set the earth on fire. And he did. They set the earth on fire. So, in conclusion, if you go into Tibet and you hang out for the Dalai Lama and you're just recently married and your wife gets bit by a dog, maybe, maybe, maybe take her to a hospital. Don't just let her come back to the country because she might turn out to be a werewolf in league with Dalai Lama. And then you better hope that you have a dad, course Travis, to kill them both and then commit suicide because he lied when he was 17. This is a terrifying tale of horror by Ian Austin. Terrifying, because we shudder on Friday night, y'all. And here's to another episode of Friday Night Fright. I'd like to thank you all for listening, as usual. It's very cool and very bodacious of you. I'll be back next week with a American special, live from Florida. Not live from Florida, but it'll be recorded from Florida, so I'm going to America, yay. And in the meantime, I better get this fucking I this Halloween 2 shit sorted. That airs on 31st of... Um, October, so that'll be cool. But anyway, until next time, remember life is beautiful. <laughs>